hammer down and push your IndyCar to the limit. So better way to quiet your critics than to go to victory lane. From turbochargers to tight turns, we're covering everything that's happening in the NTT IndyCar series. And Alex Malone, the NTT IndyCar champion. Thank you so much. Exclusive interviews with drivers, crew chiefs, and team owners discussing the IndyCar storylines that matter to you. No matter whether it's a street circuit, a road course, a super speedway, or a small oval, it's fantastic, and there's more to come in 2022. This is Sirius XM's Brick by Brick. Welcome, IndyCar Nation, to another edition of Brick by Brick. I'm Jack Aroot, along with my buddy, 2013 Indy 500 champion, you know him simply as TK. Tony Kanan is at the keyboard. TK, today was kind of an unusual day for you. As I understand it, the city of Indianapolis dedicated a street to Tony Kanan. Yeah, I actually went up to put the sign up um, at, at the circle. It's actually not a street. It's Kanan Avenue, my friend. Oh, so, oh. Uh, you know, uh, it was pretty neat uh, obviously it's the hype of the month of may and uh, me living here um you know being a hoosier for four years now my kids were born here two of them so uh yeah they invite me to do that and i i uh i accept it i went up on the little box truck and had to actually tie up a city you know my my uh my sign and uh, we took some pictures of Took my wife there. My kids were not yet, but uh, it's near a coffee shop, which we go all the time. So now uh, I can take my kids to Canaan Avenue to have some coffee. Yeah, but what we need to know, Canaan, <laughs> is you say it's Canaan Avenue is a circle. Please well, tell me it, it turns only left. Which is perfect. That's what we want. <laughs> so it, it suits, the, suits the purpose. You know, it does justice to the name. So, yeah, it's a circle. Well, you can tell with all the festivities and the announcements that are being made, TK, that we are rapidly getting down to uh, just a few weeks uh, before we start in earnest with the Indianapolis 500. And in that regard, just a day or so ago, um, the officials at IndyCar and at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway announced some adjustments to the 2022 qualifying format. And it's 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 a different iteration, and I'm trying to think of the the best way to put it. You'll have qualifying uh, on Saturday for positions uh, 13 through 30, but really where it gets fascinating is now uh, last chance qualifying, and I, I think let's let's acknowledge the true elephant in the room. I don't think there's going to be any bump day, but there'll be an hour or so dedicated on Sunday to that. But then we get down to the nitty-gritty. Top 12 will compete for positions 7 through 12 ending up being determined. And that will culminate with the top uh, 6 moving on to the Firestone Fast 6 and having to go out and tackle another 10 miles around the Indianapolis Motor Speedway to fill those first two rows. Yeah, I mean, Jack, what a, I'm not going to call controversial because – any decisions that you make involving a, a, such a traditional race or such a, such a traditional, any, any event that is so traditional, people are going to be all for it or they're going to have an opinion about it, right? So, but I just want to recap with you because we've been, 
fortunately, we've been around for a long time. And over the years, over the, you know, let's say the last 25 years that I've known you, you've been a lot longer around a lot longer than me, but we've been changing some of the traditions. That's sure. just because yeah. the track was made by bricks before. Uh, and, and now it's asphalt. So it, I'm pretty sure back in the day, somebody complained why we did that. Or so I don't want to, I mean, I, 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 I just had, had a actually not an argument, but a discussion on Twitter about it because people are like, ah, I miss the tradition. You guys are great. I said, guys, we've been changing a lot of the traditions and creating new traditions because in 50 years from now, my kids, our kids are going to say, wow, that was the, the, the tradition. They're even not going to know, you know, so yeah, I mean, let's talk about the good points. I think well, it's clear now that uh, we're not having a bump day. It was announced, because, and we know. The series knows that there's not going to be 34 cars. We know because of the engine manufacturers. We talked about this uh, on the previous show. So we know it's 33. It has not been announced, but I can assure you it will be 33. Mm -hmm. So they tried to make more exciting for the fans. It's not going to be a bump day. We're going to have a bad day. So they create something exciting that people's like, okay, they're going to qualify. We're going to lock in positions 13 to 33 on Saturday. Then the fast 12 will move in uh, to, to Sunday. And out of the fast 12, we're going to go to the fast six, which Firestone is one of the, our biggest sponsors, supporters of this series for more than decades. They're, they're like, they've been around for 100 years. They deserve that. Why they don't have a fast six at the 500 that we had everywhere else. That's right. So that's a big plus for Firestone. Um, so that to me, it's all exciting. The fans are going to get to see us putting our butts re really out there for three times now, if you make it three times. I mean, that is 12 laps of qualifying the speedway that actually four was enough for me. Then mm -hmm. it became eight last year. And if I started where I start last year, which was fifth, I was going to have to do it again. And, and, for me, it's like, man, I mean, I don't know, like, it's such a stressful, a stressful moment, as you know, to do it once, twice, and now three times. So that, but then it's, if I'm in the fast, well, uh, in the fast six, now I have a chance to actually fight for the pole again. Last year, I was fifth, and that was it. That was it. I had one attempt, whatever I put it on the field, I mean, it was that. So I like it. Um, I disagree that we're going away from tradition. I think we're just, you know, trying to make it more exciting. I believe Roger um, has a big vision with his people. And yes, we're always going to have uh, people that are going to say, wow, we, well, it's not the, well, it, you know what? The month of May is not the month anymore. It's two weeks. So yeah. let's be real. So sorry. I mean, I took a lot of, I'll let you speak now, but that's, that's my opinion. And I think it's going to be great. I think it's, it's something that needs to be good for TV, as we know, we were depending on that too. It's going to be good for the stream, as we know how good the streams were at the test. We talked about that. We had a live show that day. So, I mean, yeah, I'm, and I'm not saying that, Jack. You know me. I, I would never express my opinion just because it will be my interest to say, oh, you know, I, I'm still racing or, you know, it's the 500. I mean, if I didn't, didn't agree, I was going to be telling you all guys about it, but I'm all for it. I I could not uh, echo it any louder. Uh, your feelings, I I I kind of uh, get all wadded up when I hear somebody bemoaning the fact uh, and referring to things as well. 
you know, they've tampered or changed with tradition. It's called evolution. It's called adjusting on the fly. It's no different, Tony, than what you and your 32 other Indy 500 starters this year will do during the course of the race. But I want to put in perspective, and I see if you agree with me, when you were describing what it feels like and how intense and how sketchy racing in and qualifying, quite simply just having two warm-up laps and running 10 miles around that track is, and now they're you know, adding two more times. I one time took a, a, a butcher knife and then took an apple and I tried to balance it on the on the, the edge of the butcher knife. And I was trying to illustrate to the viewers that that's what you guys are doing. If you don't hit it exactly right, that apple's either going to A, get cut in two, or is going to fall off the edge. And it is a moving target predicated on wind, predicated on split-second decision-making. Is there any more intense situation than when you go out there uh, and try to qualify, whether you're trying to qualify 33rd or go for the pole in the Indy 500? No, and then, you know, think about this. We we keep, traditionally, you want to draw an early draw Right. For the first qualifying. Then, okay, let's say you got lucky you did that. Because as the day goes on, it gets hotter, windier, and so on. Until you get to the five o'clock, which we haven't been making it. Then, okay, the field is locked, right? The 13 to 33rd, the 20 cars. Then the 12 guys go the next day. I'm not sure if it's, I haven't read it's the next day or the same day, whatever. You go next. So, and then you go the... The 12th guy goes first, and then the first guy goes last, which is kind of an advantage depending what time they're going to do Right, it. and that's at 4, four o'clock to 4.45 on Here Sunday. On, on Sunday. Sunday, yeah. On, right, and then you get the fast six to go again. Yeah, at 5 o'clock. At 5 o'clock. <laughs> you know, and then you're like, okay, but then how about the weather picks up? And, exactly. and it gets windier. And the, now the guy that it, it thought he had the advantage to go last, it's actually in disadvantage. And he's not on the pole because you shuffle things around. It's not just having a fast car. It's like you said, it's the weather, the wind and everything. So it's, it's exciting. And people are just, I mean, I'm not, I'm probably generalizing because I saw some, some people criticizing, some people liked it, but talking about the people that expressed their opinion about not being all forward. I don't think they took the time to, to delude how much that can affect just the qualifying, which, you know, I mean, yeah, people say, oh, it's a 500 mile race. It's not that important. It is important. It is important Indeed. because last year, I mean, it went yellow before my first stop. I went a lap down, took the lap back, and I was in the back there with a car that was supposed to be in the top five. And I never made it to the top five ever again because the series is so competitive now that you can't afford to do that. So qualifying, it's it's as important as the race nowadays. By the way, we were talking about, you know, this is going to provide excitement for TV. Did you see where viewership for the first three IndyCar races this season has come in the highest in 19 years? They call it total audience delivery metrics, and the NBC network – uh, along with the digital rating from Peacock Streaming Services, has it up 13% over one year ago. 
and this juxtapose it and look, I'm not throwing stones at NASCAR. NASCAR is up as well, but not as incrementally high as what seems to be happening over here in the IndyCar world. Right. I mean, I, I don't know the explanation for that. Probably, I would say, because NASCAR, clearly, they were ahead of us in viewership and fans and stuff. They're probably not going to grow as much because they're already up there. But that means the good thing I see is we're catching up. And mm. and again, we're not here to talk about it's not a competition. Oh, we're doing this, we'll do that. But you talk about now people are going to the track. So it's like, theoretically, people are not watching as much TV because now they can go and watch the race live. And I think it's, uh, you know, it's a combination of a lot of things, Jack. I think they have a great group of people working there. I still think they miss you having miss having you there to be perfectly honest but we we end the series i mean how competitive it is the personalities and 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 so on i believe that uh, you know it's just this is just a reflection of how good of a product we're, we're delivering right now and finally in and around the indianapolis 500 and i promise you we still need to get to barber this weekend uh, and i found this one absolutely fascinating you know there is the movement across the world to go green and we certainly with corn-based ethanol have gone in one regard well firestone announced last week that they're going to introduce a new race tire with what they call sustainable natural rubber i have no clue what the hell that is but everybody that is in the environmental side of things when this announcement was made on earth day they all stood up and cheered uh, I just think that it's 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 again uh, the motorsports community moving forward and embracing the future. What about you? Hundred percent. And look what what happens. Like look what IndyCar has done for in so many areas about the softball, yeah. the windscreen, the Hans device. Like we've been developing things that are not just better for racing, actually. It has nothing to do just about the racing. It's, it's safety. It's environmental. It's for the world. And, and what Firestone is doing, for what I understood, it's basically, obviously, to make rubber, you got to destroy a lot of trees and all that. And they found a way. Look what it's done to the Amazon rainforest. Correct. Well, that's where I'm, you know, right? That's where I live, right? It's, it's <laughs> my country. And, and so it's awesome. We're leading up and then and, and setting examples around the world. And then hopefully, Rightly so, people will give us the credit that we deserve. I know a lot of people listening are saying, hey, Jack, hey, TK, you guys are getting ahead of your skis. We've still got two events before we open up for practice at the Indy 500. So let's start with what we are facing right down the barrel of going to what is absolutely, in my humble opinion, our Augusta National of auto racing tracks, and that's Barber Motorsports Park. Uh, I, I We've talked about this before, but I had the great and distinct opportunity when Barber got onto the circuit. And I don't know if you know this, DK, but way in the back acreage, Barber Motorsports Park has actually uh, spliced the DNA of every tree, every piece of greenery, and they have replicated it. They have cloned it. And if something should happen, that replicated cloned tree can replace a diseased one to keep everything at barber pristine isn't wow. that amazing i didn't know that that's yeah. amazing 
I mean, the facility is amazing itself. I mean, I mean, I remember when we we went there even before we decided to race, just for a test. And the track is amazing. The museum, it's unbelievable, and the facility. So that's awesome. I mean, if you guys, I mean, people that are listening, you have the chance to go. You guys should go. It's an awesome event. The track, as far as watching the race, you can climb in the in some of the the hills and, and the watch. viewing mounds. Yeah. Right it's yeah. crazy so cool so yeah i didn't know that that's awesome well let's talk a little bit about how taxing it can be on drivers we certainly <laughs> saw that uh specifically one year ago uh and it has a reputation for that uh what's the most difficult aspect of getting around barber quickly um actually it's the lack of visibility so yeah you have to know how pos to position your car to some of the blind corners way before you get to the corner and and a few inches each way you're losing a lot of track time a lot of lap time so really knowing how to position your car and it's one of the most difficult tracks as far as visibility because they have so many uphills downhills and blind corners that to me that is that makes it extremely challenging yeah and we certainly saw that rear its ugly head early on uh, at barber you know here's a topic that and i my father always taught me i shouldn't criticize something if i don't have an answer but i'm going to do it anyways because i'm looking not necessarily for an answer but a better understanding the competitive the competitive nature of indycar racing specifically on road courses and we see it in indycar too an awful lot of times the way things unfold it gets down to you know who makes the best fuel fuel conservation all of those elements and and i'm just wondering if is that good for our sport or should we and now i'm starting to sound like those knuckleheads that wanted to complain about the change in qualifying but i truly am not is there a way to balance that out with having the ability to run wide open right to the end of the race is there something down the road that well you're the chairman of the driver's advisory board that we should consider we are considering that the, the biggest issue we have like when we decide uh the length of a race it's more of how tv is asking us the time slot you know that you've been on tv right. for <laughs> so once the tv gives you the time slot that's how you try to balance but you have then to include the yellow flags and how boring that would be. And it's so hard because the simple question would be why it's just a simple math. What's the tank fuel capacity and what do we do? What's the fuel consumption? Because it's no secret for anybody when you go full throttle, why don't, don't we make the laps to, to catch up to that? And unfortunately the biggest challenge is TV. So yeah, I mean, we need to be a little stronger to be able to have more power and more viewers to be able to buy more time on air, then, then we can say yes. But yeah, that's something that you're preaching to the wrong guy. I hate fuel mileage races. I think racing, you need to race. It's about going fast. It's not trying to go fast and going slow. So we're looking into it, Jack, but it's like, like I said, it's, it's not cut and dry like that. So unfortunately, there are so many other things that are involved um, for us to make that happen but hopefully one day i'm hopeful that we'll be able to do that 
Well, I don't want to hack into the driver's email chain, but I'm going to offer <laughs> up an idea. All right. And, and, and an awful lot of the drivers I truly believe would not subscribe to it. All of a sudden you can take all of your fuel strategy and it gets thrown away with a late race caution. If instead of finishing the way traditionally IndyCar racing is finished under the yellow flag. And if you have to, whether it's, you know, I call it green, white checkered. And that would deliver to the fans some excitement. And it would absolutely turn your engineers, especially the gas uh, uh, engineers, turn them inside out trying to determine based upon all that SMT data whether and how many green-white checkers you can survive because, yeah, you've made enough fuel to get to the end, but not another, like at Indy, another five additional miles. Yeah, I don't know about the green-white checker because then, you know, we're copying what NASCAR is doing. I'm more of a fan saying, get us more, get us an extra 20 minutes or half an hour on TV. And yeah, but can... see, let me, let me interrupt you. I want both, but what I'm saying is I don't want to see us as an industry resist something that's going to continue to deliver excitement to the fans just because, and oh, by the way, NASCAR didn't conceive of this. They were dragged kicking and screaming uh, to, you know, to accept green white checker where was that born and raised on the short tracks that you tony Kanan, are going to be competing in the srx series it is it is something that was part and parcel since since most of those little quarter mile half mile tracks started operating at the end of world war ii and now all of a sudden do we resist it and deny our fans that excitement now the alternative i'll offer you this one And we've seen this before when race control has elected near the end of the race to red flag the race and to stop it so as not to deny. But bottom line is fans are clamoring to see it not finish under the yellow, but to finish it at speed wherever it is, whether it's Barber, Indy, Long Beach, you name it, with a checkered flag, not a yellow flag. I will uh, put your request and say that that was your idea on the Drivers Association. Let's see what they said. I'll stay tuned. I'll, I'll <laughs> tell you guys in the next show what they told. Uh, what, what was the answer for Jack's idea? Hey, listen, we also have some news around the Indy 500. Uh, we're going on the road. Well, better yet, we're coming home, people. Uh, brick by brick, we'll be originating live uh, at some special air times in and around the Indianapolis 500, several shows. What remains to be seen is just how much I'm going to be able to tap in to Tony Kanan because that's a pretty busy time for you, Kanan, when you're getting ready with your American Legion Ganassi racing car to prep for the Indy 500. We're going to have to drag you kicking and screaming to the uh, to the stage. Well, it will be fine. I mean, I've done it before. Uh... For TV, I, we did a TV show every day here locally in Indy with Dave first uh, during the month. So I don't think it's going to be an issue. I think it's going to be fun. I'm going to have a lot of insights through through the month that probably a lot of people, actually nobody else would have. But I have to say, Jack, the weirdest thing in my life, I have to say up until now, I never thought was when uh, my good friend Nate, Nathan, as I call him, <laughs> um, sent me an email 
saying that I need a media pass. I said, I said, what? <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to have a hard card, an IndyCar hard card, and I have a media pass. So I actually can interview anybody I want. There you go. How about that? No. See, so Nate delivered the bacon for Tony Kanan. After all these years, you're venturing in a new area. And by the way, what is going to be fun is you'll be enlisted because the day before is what they call media day. It's kind of like the Super Bowl. They set up all of the different drivers and little, you know, sconces and, you know, all of the attending media ask questions. And after you answer all the questions during your appointed time, they're going to hand you that damn tape recorder and you're going to go around. And I wish we would have the video because I would love the look on some of your fellow competitors' faces when you hone in and do your very best imitation of Jack Root and ask an important question. And it might be something like, all right, so uh, what's the setup on your car? I'm going to ask that for sure. You bet. I mean, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun to, uh, you know, I never thought I was going to do both at the same time, driving and reporting. So I guess uh, stay tuned, guys. I'm, I'm excited. It's going to be a, a, an awesome month of May. And I think uh, we're on to something, Jack. This show has been growing and hopefully we've been putting a lot of time, you know, and I, I want all the listeners to know how, how much effort you put in, you, Nate, and everybody at XM. I know even you with a lot of your personal, uh, you know, life challenges and uh, <laughs> I, I can't thank you enough and I'm, you know I'm, I'm gonna be happy to see you and doing this thing live with you the next, and, the whole and next look, month. Uh, all of us can't wait to interact with the fan base because that's so important right uh, in and around IndyCar racing all right let's set the stage quickly uh, we've got two really great guests Beth Peretta who uh, took a almost all-female team uh, and put it into the Indianapolis 500 with our friend, the Swiss Miss Simona Di Silvestro at the keyboard one year ago in the Indy 500 will be joining me and we'll be talking about the change in direction that Pareto Autosport has decided upon this year. They won't be at the Indy 500, but there's a reason behind that. She's coming up next and then a little bit later, we're going to visit with an author who has penned a unique home about the indianapolis motor speedway it's a little bit different than mine tales from the indy 500 the greatest stories ever told it's entitled what i've learned from attending over 35 indy 500s lessons in sales motivation leadership management and life in general jeff cowan will close things out a little bit later but up next it is beth peretta and she will join us here on brick by brick Quick pit stop, and then we're back on the track. This This is Sirius XM's Brick by Brick. This is Sirius XM's Brick by Brick. Welcome back to yet another edition of Brick by Brick. Some of the news that was made over the course of uh, the last seven days was the announcement that Peretta Autosport would be back but in a different configuration than one year ago when they captured all of our imaginations by teaming up with Team Penske and putting an all-female effort onto the grid for the Indy 500. Peretta Autosports CEO and team principal Beth Peretta joins us here on Brick by Brick, and it's a little bit different this time around. Explain it. 
Yeah, so uh, my intention always was that our team would do more. We are, my intention is to be a full-time team in IndyCar. And so the value to us is to get to more tracks, get to more races. So when I looked at this year, we see that there's a constraint of, uh, there's actually just a, a shortage of people, a little bit tight on equipment for, for this year. You know, last year you had 35 cars going for 33 spots. It's a little tighter this year. It was a bit of a a labor challenge and so when early in january really end of middle of december to early january um i kind of said okay you know what i think it would be better if i just focus on doing things other than the indianapolis 500 which i know seems maybe like a crazy idea but the um the idea to run races after indy gives me the opportunity to run uh, three, possibly four races, gets us to new tracks, street courses, road courses. And as we want to round out our skills, that is an investment in us and getting Simona back to some new tracks, uh, some new tracks and some tracks she's been to before, like mid Ohio. And it also gets our crew who is new to new places. They're going to see what it's like to pit a car coming in right to left instead of left to right. Well, and if, as you say, if, if the ultimate goal is to go full-time on the NTT IndyCar series, uh, broadening your horizons will also present some fascinating challenges to not only your pit crew, but also the, this technical alliance that you have now have with a Chevrolet and, you know, with Ed Carpenter Racing, because it's one thing to prep a car, engineer a car for the Indianapolis 500. It's another, as you say, uh, for street courses, road courses, kind of your 2022 focus, is it not? Absolutely. I mean, when you see what fans see, and, and because qualifying and practice and all of those those days, that you obviously, it's, we still call it month of May, even though now it's really two weeks of May, but you're there so long and you're really, you can over-engineer the car. You can, you can just keep, you know, rubbing on that car to make it better, better, better for the speedway. But the, the cadence of those two weeks is such a, uh, a unique event, it does not translate to the rest of the year. And for us to be able to have these three-day weekends, you know, where you're coming in on a Thursday, flying out on a Sunday, um, that is, you know, that's valuable. It, it's, you know, these shorter sessions, you know, you're out there for practice for, you know, 45 minutes or qualifying sessions. And so all of that is, is going to be, it, it's, it's very valuable for, for us to kind of get back in the swing of that. To your point also, to be working with the other two cars for Ed Carpenter Racing, it, it allows us this opportunity to get to know how to work well with each other and, you know, hopefully on a really tight timeline under pressure. Let me circle back to one year ago because we all followed with a great deal of interest uh, and when you announced that you were going to attempt to take an all-female team and put it into the grid for right. the greatest spectacle in racing, there were some that said, wow, and especially, as you said, with the number of cars that were available and competing for the 33 spots, uh, when you did make the field, uh, the, the look of relief was palpable on your face on the TV coverage. But I want to forget about that. I want to know what Beth Peretta felt and what her crew felt the next day after having competed in the Indy 500 and having made history. You know, it's funny. I think it still is hitting me, which I, I know sounds uh, may, might sound strange because it's, so, it's such an obvious thing. And the reason I even put the team together was knowing what an impact it would have. It's what, what motivated me to, to do it in the first place and what, what it would do for fans at home. Uh, and 
so I will say, first of all, our team is, is not 100% women. It's not all female. It's 70%. Um, and the reason for that is because there aren't enough women. There weren't, weren't enough women and there still aren't today uh, at the top level in all of those roles. To, I mean, other than me stealing some from other teams, which I can't do, I'm not going to coach people. So what I had to do is take women who were new to IndyCar. So they might have come from other racing series. Some of them that I had actually were new to racing entirely. We were taking we're using almost like a NASCAR model of fly-in pit crews for people that were athletes. So of my team of 30 people, 20 are women. Wow. Uh, so day, I have this wonderful picture that I love, and, and it's a live shot during uh, a pit stop during the Indy 500. And in the photo, there are 11 women working in that pit stop photo. And that includes performance engineer, uh, dead man, or we can call it dead woman, who's you know, controlling the fuel flow, um, you know, lollipop photographer, myself, uh, you know, a, a spotter, you know, and so all of those are critical roles to getting the car on the grid. So yeah, over the wall, we had four behind the wall, three, I mean, all of these, because a, a, an IndyCar pit stop is uh, seven people over the wall. So we have four. Now in 110 years since the race started, right, starting in 1911, so 105th running, because it didn't run, as we know, for a bunch of years during World War II, but it was the 105th running of the race. And it's the fact that it took until the 105th running for you to see a majority female team is historic. And I knew that, but it hits me more, for instance, in December, I had to go to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway Museum and they asked me for some artifacts from last year. And there's that moment where I'm handing, literally handing over to Jason Vansickle, who's the curator, I'm handing him like my race-worn shirt, my race-worn mask and a crew shirt. I gave him a men's crew shirt and a woman's crew shirt. So you could see the difference in the size. Um, and those moments when I realized that people have paid attention and care about those little details makes me realize that, you know, a lot of people paid attention and a lot of people watched. But how I felt that day or the next day, um, certainly a sense of relief. Of, you know, I can tell you now that we were we actually had a mechanical issue even during qualifying, which is why we were doing uh, so poorly on once we, we turned up the boost and what, what you saw, you saw Will Power struggling as well. We had a similar challenge with both of our cars. Um, on qualifying weekends, because if you saw how we were doing during uh, practice days during the week, we were actually middle of the timing sheet, and we we had uh, high ambitions for ourselves for that weekend, and then we just kind of fell off a cliff. So, um, not you never take getting into the Indy 500 for granted, but I don't think that we ever thought we'd be on the bubble. So when we then found ourselves in that spot, there was that moment Saturday night of like, oh God, we after yeah. all effort and all of this money we might not be in the show and i mean literally to the point where like roger penske apologized and cindric apologized like you know we're so sorry that we're, we're in this and uh, and then you know by the grace of god on sunday we we were able to make it um and yeah it was it was relief i think because you know you're just so in it in the moment i think i appreciate it more now than i did in the weeks that the weeks and days that followed beth do you consider yourself a pioneer no, um, I consider myself doing something that hopefully matters. It's a good way to put it. Yeah. Will you be at the Indianapolis 500? Because, you know, now you've got, you've had the perspective, you know, because of your background in the automotive industry of having yeah. attended there and yeah. you know, looked at it from that perspective. Now you've uh, had, uh, you know, the, what do they call it? The, the smell of the grease paint and the roar of the crowd. And right. you've experienced that. Now you get to go back and meld those two together to get what you think you will need to take the next step 
to a full-time operation at IndyCar. I will be there this year. Simona and I will actually be there. We have, I have some uh, obligations for my sponsors, so I have a nice excuse to have to be there. Because um, in fairness, even if I wasn't, even if I didn't have that, I probably, I, I, <laughs> I'd probably be there. I was there last week. We did the announcement on Tuesday, so I was there for the open test. And I'm so happy with the decision that, that I've made for myself and for our team and for my business. But I will say when I started hearing the cars during the open test, I was like, oh, I'm just this <laughs> up. But I'm, I feel also grateful to have this opportunity to have raced it last year. I mean, and I've been there, how, I don't know how many times I've been there as, you know, with dear friends who, who have been racing. So I've, I've been very close to it. But to now, um, having done it, I appreciate it much, much more differently. In fact, I had this conversation with uh, you know, people who have won it and um, who I was close to beforehand. And, and last year when, when I was going through the month of May, we kind of had an ongoing dialogue about like, oh, wow, this is, you know, you appreciate it way differently when you're there, you know, 6 a.m. every day and, and, and what goes into it. It's, it's a grueling couple of weeks and, and it makes you understand why um, people are cheering as much as they are when, when the milk starts to get bored. Indeed. Um, I would be remiss if I didn't offer you the opportunity because it sounds like you're still out there uh, with the, uh, you know, with the help wanted shingle hanging out. So if if there are women, yeah. that, you know, that can want to follow in the footsteps of some of the pioneers you you imported that would get up before they went off to work, getting ready at four and five o'clock in the gym in the morning. How do they how do they at least pass along their resume but more importantly, share with you their passion. You know, it's funny because the purpose of my team is to cultivate fine new talent and, and give them the support to kind of learn this. I actually lost a couple of my ladies from last year. Uh, Caitlin, who was our inside front tire changer, is now in the number three car full time. You know, and she wouldn't have otherwise had that, you know, probably had that opportunity. And same thing, uh, our performance engineer is now full-time uh, technical coordinator for Penske on the IndyCar side. She'd come from the NASCAR side for Penske, but she hadn't ever been around IndyCar. Before yeah. stuff with it. So it's wonderful to see them in these full-time roles, but that means I've got a backfill some spots. Um, but info at Toretta Autosport is always the best way to get in touch with us. Well, hopefully you'll be bringing and instilling uh, uh, the potential for a long and storied career in the world of IndyCar racing with people that uh, reach out to you there. Best wishes, Beth. We'll catch up at the Indy 500. Two nutmeggers maybe can trade some Indy 500 stories. And until then, I know you're going to be hard at work because, yeah, Indy is on the horizon, but your debut in 22 isn't that far behind. No, it's only two weeks after. Road America. That's Beth Peretta. When we return, well, everybody loves to write a book about the Indy 500. I've written one, uh, several editions of it, called Tales from the Indy 500. We'll visit with an author, Jeff Cowan, who has written from attending over 35 Indy 500s, lessons in sales, motivation, leadership, management, and life in general. Boy, need a big book to put that title out there. He will join me and Tony Kanan after these messages. Quick pit stop, and then we're back on the track. This, this is Sirius XM's Brick by Brick. This is Sirius XM's Brick by Brick. Welcome back to Brick by Brick. We're going to close things out, TK, for this week's edition with a guy that shares the passion that you and I possess for 
Well, that massive facility known as the Indianapolis Motor Speedway and the greatest spectacle in racing, the Indianapolis 500. He has uh, authored a book that is entitled What I've Learned from Attending Over 35 Indy 500s, Lessons in Sales, Motivation, Leadership, Management, and Life in General. Jeff Cowan joins us now. Jeff, that's a mouthful. Yeah, it is, huh? But it's uh, it's it's what it, I think it kind of says it all, huh? So, how did you come about or decide to put pen to paper and uh, share your thoughts and the way that the Indy Five Hundred has has affected you in those areas? Well, you know, uh, uh, I am a uh, professional motivational speaker and trainer and author of sales books. And so when I do do my presentations many, many times, I talk about stories and lessons I've learned from watching and attending the Indy 500. And, uh, and then I always end my meeting with this big goal setting thing, which revolves around this huge story about Indy being my goal every year. That's what I get out of bed for to go see the Indianapolis 500. I mean, I, I, uh, you know, I've got other goals, but the main one is the Indy 500. As a matter of fact, it's the only rule I had when I got married that don't get don't get married don't have a baby don't die on the <laughs> and so people love those stories and they said they encouraged me they, they said you know my clients said you, you need to put that down in a book and so i did and it was uh it was a very uh very very fun thing to do because it was you know kind of like a i don't know it's just fun talking about the stuff we live in the memories jeff i mean obviously you have many stories but Tell us one of your favorites. I'm not going to say the favorite because I know it's like me, people asking me, what's my favorite moment, you know, over all these years, I have a few, but tell me one that stands out for you that it's in the book. We don't want to give too much away. We want people to buy the book and read the book. <laughs> tell me well, one of your favorites, like a short one. Well, you know, one of my favorite ones is, and it's going to sound like I'm sucking up, is when you won the Indy 500. <laughs> and, you know, because as everybody knows, you're, Good you're, answer. Good you're, answer. You're, you're, you're a fan favorite, you know, and you go back and, you know, because I write about this in the book. You know, you are the only driver to have led the Indy 500 set the first seven times you ran it. Uh, you ran for the biggest teams. You're the only one in any realm of racing that completed every lap on every race during a season. Championship driver. And then, then heartbreakingly, you know, all this looks like it's you. And every, every year we go, and like I said, my wife's one of your biggest fans, right? And it's, you know, it's Tony, Tony, Tony. And then the heartbreaking thing happens when 7-Eleven decides to go somewhere else and, and, you know, you're not driving for Andretti. It was heartbreaking. And what was just stunning to me was your, your, your reserve. I learned so much from it because, you know, where, where most of the time you see that happen and it's the end of a career, you know, it's down the ladder, you, you didn't give up and you went to KV racing and, and you won the Indy 500 and you not only won the Indy 500, I think you did it that day because you're on an, uh, in my opinion, you know, you're on a, you're on an underfunded team when you compare it to the other monsters that you've driven mm -hmm. for, right. And that we were competing against. And I think it was knowledge, you know, you knew what was going on, everything that you, that had happened during that race, you were prepared for You're you're an Ironman triathlete. So 133 laps driven without a caution. And I told my wife when we, when we got, I said, I said, this is going to be won by, by a veteran and it's going to be won by somebody that's really fit. And she goes, that's Kanan. <laughs> and then, you know, you look at all the past and stuff. So that's, you know, so, so to me, 
you know, watching you do that, and I think you did it because of your knowledge. You were prepared for that day, and, and I think that team hired you because they knew that you had the, maybe the missing piece that they were missing, and you proved them to be right. So that's a favorite story. Another favorite story, real quick, of mine is Dan Weldon and his second win. I mean, my gosh. I mean, that's a picture of right there behind me. You know, just there all day long. Same type of story. You know, I was driving for a well-funded team and then ends up with a brand new Brian Herder. Nobody's expecting me to win and then leads, what, 100 yards? I'm out of nowhere. And, and you know, he was just, he was like yourself. Uh, you guys are exciting to, to people like me because you understand Indy and you love Indy and you just know that when you and Dan and, you know, a few other people won, that you'd accomplish a life goal. And it was just exciting to see, you know, the determination. Jeff, final question. Uh, and it's part of your title. It says the lessons that you've learned in leadership. We have new leadership under the auspices of Penske Entertainment and the captain has taken over. Uh, as the uh, as the guardian of something that is near and dear to all of our hearts here. So when you look at it and you reflect on the lessons in leadership, what are they? Lessons in leadership. You know, it's funny you bring up Pinsky because he's the I mean, he's the essence of what leadership is. Right. I mean, you just knew that when when, the, for instance, when the Speedway sold and I was kind of sad about it, I, I thought at the Holmans, you know, they were, they were great stewards of it. And like I write in the book, it wouldn't be around without the Holmans, right? It was, it was right. set idle after World War II and Tony Holman took it over. So if you wanted anybody to buy it, you wanted him to buy it because it's leadership. And he's proven that, that, you know, that, that just what he's done the few years he's had it, it's, it's, it's not a good, it's not a great event. It seemed to be better than it was if that was possible. You know, you take his look at his leadership over the years. Uh, he, he comes out in, in uh, uh, what was it, 94 with the Beast, with Unzer, uh, Fittipaldi, and, and Paul Tracy. And, you know, a leader did what he did. He looked at the rule book and said, here's what we can do. You, you know, let's not look at what we can't do, let's what we can do. And he led his team to, to, you know, great victories on that, dominate that race, dominate that month, you know. And I just think he's the pinnacle of it. And, and he, because not only that, but like last year when he had not such a great year, He's a great loser you know, when he loses, you know, I mean, he's I, I wouldn't want to be in the garage the next day, but, you know, he's always very <laughs> calm and cool about it. And, and uh, yeah, so I just think he's a he's a pinnacle of of leadership. And you got to look at a guy like Foyt. I mean, Foyt did it his way. Foyt, Foyt didn't follow anybody. Foyt led. He built he, he didn't like the cars he was getting. So what did he do? He built his own and won. You know, in 77, the only guy to the only guy that I, I believe that ever built his own car and won it. No, I think you're right. We talked earlier when we opened the show about the the move made by the Speedway this year to change things up a little bit for the 2022 qualifying format for the 500. Uh, it is it has it elicited comments both positive and negative from current fans, from longstanding fans. Uh, where does Jeff Cowan fall on the opinion about the changes made to qualifying? I think, you know, it goes back to Penske, and I think that, you know, it's hard to question him on anything he does. If, if he's doing this, then he must feel deep down inside his heart there's going to be a bigger benefit for the competitors, a bigger benefit uh, for the teams. And most importantly, I think, I, I can't speak for him, but I think he looks at it through the fans' eyes. What's going to be the most exciting thing for the fans to experience? And so I think that's probably his motivation. And so, you know, I'm the kind of guy when a guy like him makes a decision, maybe I agree with it, maybe I don't, but I'm going to wait and see what it is before I make any comments. But I, I'm excited about it. I mean, you know, how can you not be excited about it? No, so absolutely. You know, hey, thanks, listen, where thanks, can we get the book? Well, you can get the book at, at Amazon. Uh, it's, it's there. And I just ask your readers to do this. 
Uh, you can get it at Amazon, you get it at Barnes and Noble, where any books are sold. It's sold in a lot of bookstores. It's the number one best selling book, a business book, number one best business book ever written about the Indy 500. I just ask your fans if they buy it and you like it, give me five stars on Amazon. If you read it and you don't like it, don't tell anybody you read it. <laughs> I like your way of thinking. Absolutely. <laughs> Jeff Cowan, it's been a real pleasure. I look forward to uh, diving into the book because I have an equal passion. I got it on you, though, 50 consecutive years. Uh, oh, you do. You do. Either attending or working the Indy 500. Thanks so much for joining us today on Brick by Brick. Thank you. You guys are my Thanks, heroes. Jeff. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Well, TK, yet again, we've come to the end of our little Coco Clatch and Harmonica recital. Uh, many thanks to Jeff as well as to Beth Peretta. But we cannot close out without you and I getting out on the edge of the gangplank and predicting who is going to go to victory lane at Barber Motorsports Park this weekend. I will defer to you. Alex Palou. Alex Palou. Yep. All right. You know what? I'm going to stay with Team Penske. So, uh, I believe that Team Penske is going to ride the wave all the way to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And you know what? I'm picking the Kiwi that spent most of his career in Australia. It is time for McLaughlin to rise up yet again. I'm going that way. How about that? All right, we'll see. I mean, if Penske does that, it's going to be, and then they, they come to the Indy Road Course and they do it, it's going to be like Dan Weldon in 2005. Yeah. When he won every race, including the 500. So we'll try to prevent that from happening. There you go. I know the we that you're talking about. <laughs> hey, quick reminder, if you want more motorsports conversation and more IndyCar interviews specifically, hey, Subscribe to my podcast series. I'm beating the drum for it. It's called Jackaroot's Wind Tunnel. It's available wherever you get your favorite podcast. Remember, it's Jackaroot's Wind Tunnel. Our producer is Nate Lee. For my partner, Tony Kanan, I'm Jackaroot reminding you to join us next week when we will get together for yet another edition of Brick by Brick.